I'll do. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Long time, no talk, but we're all back together on the Here's the Catch podcast. The guys, uh, I haven't seen your faces in a long time. I haven't heard your voices in a long time, but now uh, I guess we could finally break the hiatus as far as hearing your voices is concerned. How's it going? We'll start with you, Matt. It's going well. Um, I feel like we're in the, the usual sort of rut of the the NFL calendar, this would be the time that, uh, you know, the 49ers would have had a uh, mandatory mini camp maybe um, a week ago. And now we'd be reaching the, the time period where people really take off and it starts to get quiet. And I, and I kind of sense that happening. Um, I solicited uh, questions for a 49ers mailbag this week. I just got, I just got a few, like, uh, and they weren't very good, so I, I sort of bagged that uh, that quest. Uh, but uh, I feel like this happens every year. So as odd as this this year is, um, it just seems like the the normal uh, football news cycle is is following uh, a pace, the the usual pace. So um, I think uh, most of us are going to probably duck out for a couple of weeks here and then get uh, get going back. Uh, uh, to, to begin training camp next month. And that all seems like it's going to, at least uh, they're going to attempt to have that uh, happen on time. Uh, Dennis, what have, what have you been up to these uh, these last couple of weeks? I've been really struggling with trying to stay busy. And I, I had kind of forgotten kind of how my world kind of revolves around football and, and doing different events and speaking engagements and boys and girls clubs and basically – you know, gatherings. That's kind of how my off season has always been for the last 10 years. And this year it's kind of been nothing. But as far as the 49ers go, I, I mean, it's been, I mean, it, there's been some, some bursts here, some flashes. I mean, the free agency, then the draft. And then, you know, of course, uh, what we have here with what's going on with the two injuries to the key receivers and, and the coronavirus uh, with that group of guys. So, it's it's been it's been tough, but it's you know as far as the 49ers go, it's it's been you know it's been kind of interesting. It's been kind of an exciting off season, at least for me. I guess maybe I'm just grabbing on anything I can find, but it's been interesting kind of following the way this off season's gone. And you talked about training camp start. That was that's always an exciting time for me. Training camp, going over to the facility and watching the guys practice, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of what they do and how they kind of manage or or, or try to manage. Uh, training camp this season yeah just to reset the timeline of this very unusual offseason we are now moving into late June training camp is still scheduled to begin on schedule on July 27th for the 49ers so assuming this were a regular year right now would be that dead period in between OTAs mini camp which Matt mentioned was mid-June and the start of training camp on July 27th so uh, as of right now as we sit here talking in late June, uh, nothing is different as far as the schedule goes. Right now, the, all the guys would be working out individually anyway, expected to stay in shape uh, before their report date on July 29th. That being said, uh, there's been nothing usual about what's preceded this, obviously. Uh, the 49ers had a very eventful draft. Free agency, you can argue, was eventful as well for them. If you consider uh, Trent Williams a pickup uh, through trade, that was also during the draft. So in a way, you could say that 
uh, Shanahan drafted uh, Trent Williams a second time because his dad picked him up uh, uh, in Washington several years ago. So the 49ers have gotten a new left tackle. Joe Staley's retired. They've picked up some exciting players as rookies. And then they moved forward into, you know, this really uncertain period of the offseason. They did a lot of uh, uh, unofficial workouts, both at San Jose State and in Nashville. But those workouts ended, obviously, last week when uh, news came out that an unnamed player had tested positive for the virus. And they're probably going to end anyway, as I said, because this is that dead period. So the 49ers got some work in, uh, but that ended with the virus news, which obviously made some headlines. And uh, now we move forward into July. So uh, what should we expect now between now and training camp, Matt, as far as the bigger picture of the NFL is concerned? Do you think that this is going to start on time on July 27th? I have to believe that the baseball news, you know, baseball agreed to come back and everything uh, is, I think, starting to come to fruition there I have to feel that's a good sign right for football because uh, they can take a similar approach and they haven't lost any time yet yeah although you know the 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 baseball lesson is that anytime the the players and the owners have to hash things out uh there are going to be delays and and there there are things to hash out um all sorts of things um you know when do these guys come back I think the the teams would love to have uh players come back a little earlier than the 27th uh because um, the uh, the OTAs, all the spring practices already have been wiped out. So they would like sort of a, a gradual ramp up to the season. Um, and I think that's going to happen in any event. Um, it, it sure seems like at least a couple of those preseason games will be eliminated so that it's a more gradual warm up to the season than, um, than a training camp and preseason normally would be, but um, the, the owners are supposed to join on a, on a big conference call this week um, to, to start ironing out those exact details, and you know, one, one of the really thorny things, and, and something that involves the 49ers heavily, is, uh, is finances. Uh, you know, what's going to happen to this year's finances? I've heard that anywhere from 50 to $100 million uh, revenue loss per team is a possibility. Uh, that's obviously coming from the owners uh, who are already, it seems like they're already sort of, um, you know, getting their stance together as far as as far as that's concerned. But, um, you know, it, it has a big bearing on the 2021 salary cap. We've talked about that. And that in turn has a big bearing on new deals for guys like George Kittle, primarily uh, Kendrick Bourne could see a new one. Raheem Mostert could get one, all sorts of uh, free agents coming down the pike in 2021. So uh, lots of things to hash out between the players and the, and the owners. And to me, that always kind of signals that there's going to be haggling and delays and uh, r- reports on this. No, that's false. It's really this. So I feel like uh, July is going to be full of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And as I sit here and think, and I, and I think about what happened with this workout in Nashville, I, I'm really concerned uh, about how they're going to kind of do this. And, you know, I know these players are under contract to show up and work and, and play football, but I wonder how many guys are really sitting down and thinking about the risks that they're going to have to take. I mean, if you go into a locker room on a football field, there's a lot of fluids being transferred. And then you go home, even if you're isolated. I mean, at some point you're going to, you, your kids are going to come, your wife's going to going to come. I just wonder if these if these guys have sat down as a group or I, I'm sure the players' union has said some some kind of thoughts on how this is going to move forward, and and will players 
be willing, like I said, I know they're under contract, but are they going to be willing to go and kind of put themselves at risk? You know, I, I think we could see guys opt out. It just depends on the level of concern that you see from, uh, you know, different individuals, and we'll see what their choices are. I've talked to a few 49ers players. I'm not going to name them because uh, it was off the record, but some guys who would be willing to go out there um, a- as it stands right now. So uh, I haven't talked to anybody who wouldn't be willing, but I know that Raheem Mostert, for example, on the record, uh, talked about the concerns that his wife had a few weeks ago, and that was in a big mm-hmm. group media session with the 49ers and uh, with the 49ers local media. So, it, you know, there are varying degrees and varying levels of concern amongst different players. And it's going to be really interesting how that is all resolved when the NFLPA and the NFL talks intensify here over the coming month as they determine the exact protocols, right, uh, for the, the start of play and the start of training camp on July 27th. From the financial standpoint, I think, uh, you know, something just popped across Twitter right now. I, I just read NFL is finalizing plans to tarp off the first six to eight rows of seating in every stadium and allow teams to sell TV-visible advertising to local sponsors. One sales executive said the move will significantly help with pandemic-related revenue loss. So, yeah, I just find this really interesting because Matt mentioned the 50 to 100 million the 49ers anticipate or fear losing this year. And that is something that will, you know, carry over into salary cap concerns down the line because the league was anticipating initially a huge boost in salary cap. I mean, it's at, what, at $198 million. They were expecting something, you know, close to $240 million before the pandemic hit and all of these financial uncertainties took hold. The salary cap is tied to revenue, and if fans aren't showing up to games, that revenue is going to plunge drastically. There are some people that even fear a $50 million decrease in the salary cap in 2021. So the, what the league is going to try to do to make up for lost revenue is things like this advertising in parts of the stadium that even if you do allow 50% capacity of fans, you keep the uh, part of the stands that's visible to TV open for ads and they'll try to make back up some of that money. So I'm extremely interested in seeing how the league will try to mitigate some of the, the revenue losses here. And all of those policies are going to have to be announced and finalized in the coming month or two. Because that's what's you know going to have a huge impact on the 49ers moving forward as far as their ability to sign some of the players that uh, don't have those new contracts yet. Because the size of the cap in 2021 is going to be really significant to the 49ers, Matt. Yeah, and uh, George Kittle is at the top of that list. And um, I, I think it's been interesting that this has sort of gone underplayed. But you know, George Kittle has every right to to hold out and not participate if he doesn't get a new deal. He's vastly underpaid and has outperformed his contract. He hasn't done that thus far. He's taken part in all of these Zoom meetings that they've had. We saw him on the field last week when these guys gathered in um, outside of Nashville. So that, that, that seems to signal, and, and he hasn't said, nor has his agent said, what his plans are. But that seems to signal that he's prepared to 
kind of take part when when uh, the the formal practices happen again. But obviously, this is going to affect his deal. And I've heard, and David, you'll be interested in this. Uh, I, I talked to a fairly prominent agent who suspected that at the end of the day, he's going to come down and get 13 million per year, which sets the market for tight ends, but maybe not as significantly as George Kittle would have liked. And you have to wonder if it does end up being around that number, whether he could have gotten a little bit more had this been a normal season. Absolutely. Uh, And we didn't have all these kind of financial constraints working against bigger deals. But that's going to be interesting. And that should be, hopefully it will be a storyline in July right before they report, because that would be a nice way to, to get this going. George Kittle having a new deal and being able to report on time with the rest of his teams because he has that new deal. Uh, Dennis, if, if you were a player would you, and, and you had a contract coming up, would you give the team leeway just because it is an odd year? Or do you say... I don't want to use that as an excuse. This is my livelihood. I'm putting my my health, my future at risk. If I was in a situation uh, like a George Kittle situation, no, I would be like, pay me my money because you know, once you step on the football field, you could that could be it. Right. So you know, the NFL the NFL window is is so small, and you know, it, it's it's a small window, and you got to get it when you can because you know, a lot of guys don't play 16, 17, 20 years. Most the NFL, I think the uh, the average lifespan of an NFL football player is like three and a half years. So, you know, you got to get it when you can. Uh, we know that these owners are, are making a boatload of money. I think these owners can figure out a way to kind of manipulate the salary cap, manipulate some of this money they're getting from television. Uh, and you just said it there, David, with the advertising. I mean, that's big money. So I, I think these owners... You know, if they want to, we saw in baseball. I mean, once the books were kind of open, the players kind of saw what what the owners kind of had, and and kind of showing their hand a little bit, so had some more leverage. But as a player, you got to get it when you can. I mean, because it's it's not going to be there forever. So a guy like George Kittle, when you know he's definitely probably the best offensive player in this team right now, and, and you definitely have to show him. That you're loyal to him, and that's in the in the NFL. That's shown by paying the man his money. So I, I, I say, you know, owners figure it out, uh, you know, management figure it out. Uh, but you have to have these guys on the field like George Kittle. Well, it, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what we learn about the potential future salary caps in the next month because we haven't seen a deal like this yet. It's been tossed around in the past, a, a deal that is based on the percentage of the salary cap instead of a fixed number. And I think some parts of that concept might actually be really handy in George Kittle's potential deal. And, uh, you know, something that I would just propose right now without knowing any details, and nobody knows the details yet, so don't don't act like this is an actual proposal. This is just an idea that I'm floating out there uh, for discussion purposes. But maybe George Kittle and the 49ers agree to something that has a fixed amount of money early on, right? And when that salary cap may really constrict, so uh, say the 12 or 13 million early on. But for latter years of the deal, maybe they can do something that's tied to a certain percentage of the cap. That way, if the cap does increase, if the economy and the NFL do recover, revenues do come back in years two, three, four. George Kittle can get paid what he feels he's worth because it'll be a percentage of the increasing cap. Yet the 49ers don't risk completely blowing up the the entire situation if uh, that doesn't happen. 
if that cap doesn't go up, you can't afford to pay George Kittle 17, 18 million per year. That's going to tank your team. So I think, you know, maybe the two sides can find middle ground in a situation where he gets, you know, that guaranteed chunk that resets the tight end market early. And then it has an opportunity to grow down the line, assuming the the financial situation of the NFL improves because you know I, I I we know George Kittle and I don't think he's the type of guy that would want to take eighteen or nineteen million if the whole league and the cap situation is fifty million less than it is now I think that um, there has to be some level of reason attached to this eighteen or nineteen million was George Kittle's market value at a two hundred ten million dollars salary cap. It wasn't George Kittle's market value at a 150 to 160 million dollar salary cap. That's just you know a, a bad turn of events. So if you tie this to the percentage, Matt, you can reflect where the salary cap might be uh, in the future and pay George Kittle ac- accordingly. I like that idea. Are you going to demand a percentage if if it comes true and, and you're the one that's brokered this? Uh... This deal. I, maybe I should quit and move into being a sports agent here. I think it's I think it's more lucrative than sports reporter for sure. Oh yeah, that's for sure. But uh, there is a lot of pressure on those jobs. You know, it's every you talk about getting paid by the percentage. Well, when the yeah. deals are that big, um, every little percent is a lot of money for the agent too. So um, it's, the, it's the only be issue with that that I could see is that you know they may, may be borrowing against future caps to accommodate for yeah, the, make the 2021 cap. Yeah, so yeah. They, they may not be expanding, uh, at least in the near future, uh, because you're you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul as far as this upcoming, uh, upcoming cap. But, um, yeah, all these revenue ideas, it, it's going to be really interesting. And that's another advantage that the NFL has. They can watch uh, the Premier League. They can watch Major League Baseball and the NBA do their thing and uh, and basically steal ideas and steal revenue ideas. Nothing that the, the NFL owners don't do anything better than come up with new ideas to make money. So um, that's that's going to be a uh, a big one for them. And um, I just wonder whether this this phone call that they're having, the meetings that they're going to have in coming weeks, um, will be. Uh, around you know some of the revenue that that owners get isn't shared at this point um and if in texas say you're allowing you know 50 uh, percent of your your fans to come in versus california you're only allowing 10 percent or whatever it ends up being there's going to be a lot of uneven revenue uh this year and uh, i just wonder whether it, it all should go into the same pot this year only uh in order to kind of keep that that stream as robust as it as it can but uh that's just my idea and you know like i said i think these owners make a boatload of money and like you said matt it's they know how to make money and i and i think that they can figure out you know i'm sure in their other businesses they've they've they have figured out kind of how to be creative to continue to make all this money and i think you know there's i'm sure they're throwing away throwing around tons of ideas and i'm I'm sure one of the big ones, big ideas, how can we uh, kind of attack this television uh, revenue that's everyone's going everyone's to be watching football on TV? I mean, how do we attack that? How do we make more money with that? So I just think these guys, can, these owners can figure out a way to be creative uh, and let these guys make their money. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different time. It's a new normal, but, you know, the money's going to be out there to be made because people still want to watch football and they'll still be willing to pay to watch football. So I think they can be creative 
and figure out a yep. way. But creativity will mean that it's more complicated. So for those of you wondering why George Kittle hasn't signed that new deal yet, I think in a normal off season, I think it would have been signed by now or been very close. But uh, the reason it's taking so long, I think we could uh, confidently surmise that it's it's because of all these dynamics that we're, we're you know we're flying blind right now. So are the 49ers. So is George Kittle's camp. I hate the word unprecedented only because it's been used so often over the past few months, but it's the, really the only word that you can use to accurately describe the world situation. This is uh, uncharted territory. So when you're signing big agreements and trying to come up uh, you know, with contractual details and you're flying into the fog, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to craft something that works for both parties. So it's going to be a fascinating month. From the business perspective, it's also going to be a fascinating, what, nine or ten weeks here moving forward tracking Debo Samuel's recovery. Debo Samuel at uh, one of the practices in Nashville the 49ers had last week uh, suffered a, a Jones fracture in his foot, which is the, the same injury that Trent Taylor suffered last year. And that will make 49ers fans cringe because uh, they will realize that uh, Taylor ultimately missed the entire season. Now, Taylor, it needs to be noted, did not miss the entire season because of the Jones fracture. He missed the entire season because of complications from a failed surgery that led to an infection and just a a complete mess, right? So worst case scenario, yes, Debo Samuel can start missing extended time with this, but best case scenario, uh, the surgery that he underwent last week Uh, was successful. Uh, We'll find out within the coming weeks if it actually was successful as he begins his rehab. And best case is that he's back and working out and at full speed on the practice field in about 10 weeks. Needless to say, though, people are worried, Matt. So uh, the 49ers, I think, are certainly hoping for the best case scenario with Debo Samuel. Yeah. And the question becomes, is he going to be ready for week one? And I would, uh, if if I had to guess, uh, I'd say no, only because you don't want to rush an injury like that. I, I talked to an orthopedic surgeon who, who does this surgery a lot, and he works with the NFL, and he said, you know, there are a number of factors uh, as to why the um, prognosis, the, the recovery time, is so variable. We, we saw all sorts of different projections as soon as this injury happened, and, and one of them is that uh, oftentimes these guys get back, and, and during their rehab, they just push it too hard. And uh, it, it causes complications. I don't know whether that was a factor in, in the Trent Taylor uh, situation. I don't think it was. But um, you do read about guys who, who come back a little bit too early, and uh, there's a refracture, and you have to put in a, you have to take out the initial sc- uh, screw, you have to put in a bigger one, and that just leads to a longer recovery. So I think caution is the uh, is the key word here. Better to have Debo Samuel for you know, 14 weeks, um, if he comes back in week three, say, then uh, rush him to come back early on. Uh, you know, the, the question would be, at that point, if he does miss some games early on, who, who takes over? Uh, Brandon Ayuk is the, is the obvious choice, but, uh, you know, bringing in the coronavirus into this discussion, he, he didn't have a spring. Um, he and the other rookies are going to be behind the eight ball, uh, and it's already a, a tough process to, to get a rookie up to speed for week one. Going to be much tougher this year to do that. So it's uh, it's a it's a difficult uh, situation the 49ers are in. Uh, luckily, Dennis, they're a little bit deeper 
at that position than uh, perhaps they've been in, in recent years. Yeah, and you know, you, you have Jalen Hurd, who who was expected back. I mean, there's not been much news on him in the offseason. I saw a couple of videos of him working out, but you know, he's a he's a guy that they have a a lot of hopes for, uh, and they think the ceiling is really high. And I think we saw in the preseason uh, last year that he, you know, he's he's got the ability to be, you know, that that uh, possession possession receiver. Uh, an opportunity to to make plays down the field, get him in space. Uh, he's a big body dude, uh, so you know he's he's still on the squad. And let's not forget about Dante Pettis. I mean, he again, you get another opportunity to kind of prove yourself. High draft pick, still kind of waiting for him to arrive. But uh, you know, he's a guy that can hopefully take advantage of this uh, and kind of get back in good graces with Kyle Shanahan and and. You know, he's, he's got to know the offense by now, and, and he understands it. Uh, he just has to get his mind uh, in the right place so he can kind of run, be a part of the part of this offense. So, you know, they're deep. And, you know, Trent Taylor could be coming back, and we know him in that flick position, what he can do. But I'm And and Travis Benjamin, I mean, he was a guy that they got in the offseason. So, you know, they, they're pretty deep uh, at the receiver position, you know, losing Richie James and then, Debo here. I mean, it's a big blow, but they've got, you know, they've got, you know, and Kendrick Bourne is still in the lineup. He, he's going to be like the vet in that, in that room, but you know, they've got, they're pretty deep uh, with the receivers. It's just, it's just a matter of who's going to step up now uh, and, and kind of take the reins and, and kind of to be that guy until, you know, a Debo kind of comes back. Well, that uh, is a natural segue into our follower questions. We solicited some on Twitter earlier today, and we decided we're going to take and answer three questions. And the first one is from Oz Cruz. After Kittle and Debo, assuming he doesn't miss too many games, who do you believe will have the most receptions for the 49ers this coming season? And, uh, you know, you guys just went through the targets. I think personally, uh, you know, you mentioned Kittle. This puts more pressure on making sure that he's satisfied contractually entering the season because he is, in effect, the top 49ers receiving target. And we saw what happened last year when the 49ers were missing both Kittle and their number one wide receiver. That was against Seattle in Week 10 after the first quarter. Kittle was out for the whole game. Emmanuel Sanders hurt his ribs. The offense absolutely cratered. Statistically, that was by far Jimmy Garoppolo's worst game of the season. So uh, I think that was evidence that you need one or the other. You need your top guy or you need George Kittle on the field, preferably both. But if you have none of those guys, it is a big issue. But uh, assuming you know you have both of those guys in there, this is what the question is asking. Who do you think is going to have the most receptions? I personally am going to pick Kendrick Bourne. I think he's going to have a, a big year. I think that he was money for the 49ers on third down and in the red zone last season. And I think just naturally, because of the way you know some of this offseason is going with the Debo injury, with uh, – uh, you know, we talk about Richie James getting hurt, but I think Kendrick Bourne is just going to have a little bit more of a, a role carved out for him this year. And uh, he's he's being paid now. He's being paid, what, $3.2 million. I think he's a guy that you're going to see an uptick in receptions from this season. So he's my pick to answer that question. I, I think that's a great pick. Um, it's probably my pick, too. I won't, I won't ultimately pick the same guy, but I will note that Bourne has just been the, the energizer bunny. Um, especially this off season, and uh, you know he, he's showing everybody on his social media how hard he's working, and I think that's that's real. 
Um, he is uh, uh, an overachiever, an undrafted guy, and you just love uh, guys like that. You love to root for guys like that. So I, I would love it if uh, he wins this uh, this category. Um, I think that he could end up with more yards than this guy, but uh, it's possible that Trent Taylor ends up with more receptions than him. They would be shorter. That's a good one. That's sort good of first one. down type, uh, third down, you know, receptions, uh, six, seven, eight yards, those types of things. Um, if he's healthy, we, we've seen that rapport that he and Jimmy Garoppolo have. Jimmy Garoppolo loves to throw to the slot. Um, you know, David's talked about that New England-style offense that uh, Garoppolo's obviously coming from, and, and uh, Trent Taylor really kind of matches up well with that style. Uh, so he's another one. Um, yeah, and, and Dennis mentioned Travis Benjamin. I mean, everybody forgets about him, but he is um, he hits a lot of or checks off a lot of boxes that uh, others on this team don't do. Uh, which is speed and uh, being a veteran and being a slot receiver. So he, he's a real dark horse, I think, uh, in this. But, uh, Dennis, who, who do you think would uh, be behind Samuel and Kittle as far as receptions? The question was who. You, you named three <laughs> I'm going with, uh, I'm going receivers with Trent, there. Trent so. Taylor is going to be my, so, my guess. Okay, so well, yeah, I couldn't tell there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, hey, I was going to say. I was, your butt. So I, I, I went with a lot of answers. I was going to say Trent Taylor. Then, you know, you Kendrick Bourne, you jumped on Kendrick Bourne. I think. You know, he's a guy that's going to be featured. And I was going to say Trent Taylor. You jumped on Trent. Same thing you said. Two years ago, the synergy between him and Jimmy Garoppolo, it was amazing. It looked like, you know, that was going to be something that that you were going to see a lot of. And then Trent got hurt and then, you know, missed a few seasons and then kind of disappeared there a little bit. Then you jumped to, to Travis. And, you know, Travis Benjamin's kind of the guy that I've been kind of looking at. Again, this receiving is deep. They got a lot of really good, talented players there. But now I got to go with Jalen Hurd. Uh, just the way he played as, you know, that rookie before he got hurt, you saw he was targeted a lot that Dallas game that he got hurt in. And I think he's a guy, he's a big body guy. I think he's a guy that could get a lot of receptions out the backfield even or or even in uh maybe even a tight end position double tights type of thing so I, i'm have to go with since since matt chose three <laughs> I, i'm gonna go with jalen hurd how about that you know what's amazing is that we just picked three different guys and we didn't even mention the 49ers first round draft pick who's a wide receiver and brandon Ayuk. and i think that's a good sign for the 49ers it, the more guys that yeah, you have definitely. that can grab a big role the better chance you have at hitting right it's it's just a, yeah. a game of percentages there so uh I, you know i love the the idea of jalen hurd i think if he's healthy i think you're absolutely right i think that he gives this offense a dynamic that can really capitalize on the weaknesses of opposing defenses and so does Jawan jennings the seventh round pick out of uh, tennessee Matt has written about this. I've written about a bit about this. I think we may have even talked about this on the podcast, but the league is changing. And, and right now I'm working on a big uh, piece, Dennis. You'll, you'll be excited about this. I probably will actually want to interview you for it on the 49ers-Cowboys rivalry of the 1990s. And everybody's you know, just talking about how big players were back then, how big the collisions were, you know, and you look at the heights and weights of guys, and it, it was more than today. The league is downsized to, to get faster now, right? So it's a speed yeah. game, especially on defense. You have these small linebackers, these small safeties running around. Well, what have the 49ers done with Jalen Hurd and Jawan Jennings? They've gotten two bruisers that play the receiving position who just – 
knock tacklers off of them like they're nothing. So you look at Jalen Hurd and Jawan Jennings, I think those are two guys that have big years because they could catch the ball. And then, uh, you know, a 180-pound safety, uh, you know, or corner, or you know, corners will probably be even smaller than that. But somebody who's way lighter than them is going to have a tough time tackling those guys in the open field. And I think you can add Debo Samuel and, and Brandon Ayuk to that. They're, they're not quite as big as those two other guys that you mentioned, but they have those same skills uh, especially Debo, who you know is basically a running back when he when he gets the ball, and I, I, I wonder whether that had to do any with his his foot injury. He's uh, he's heavier than the average bear, uh, about 220 pounds, and um, he you know plants that foot really hard into the turf. So uh, it may be a combination of re- repetitive movement and just the the sheer weight, uh, the sheer heft that he he moves with, and that. Uh, defenders felt all last year, but you're right. I mean, all of these guys sort of uh, fit into that that category. And um, you know, Kyle Shanahan has has done a great job, Shanahan and the personnel department, really, of sort of uh, taking something that this team does well, that Garoppolo does well. Um, you know, timing patterns, slants, crossing routes, and and really building on it, um, going with your strength and making it even stronger. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I feel like uh, all those guys could potentially be number three, and that's a that's a good situation to be in. Yeah, and with Brandon Ayuk, I mean, what a great situation to go into. I mean, you're 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 surrounded by a lot of really good receivers, and it gives you the opportunity to kind of learn the offense and kind of get the feel of it. And, and you can put them in and in, in certain certain situations, uh, and it's it, it's it's pressure, but it's not like, well, I'm a first rounder. I, you know, I need to lead the league and need to do this. I need to lead the team and all this different thing. You can kind of learn the offense and kind of learn the vibe of it. And you got other guys around you that are going to teach you, and you're going to have opportunity in practice to get a lot of reps. Uh, you know, we talked about the preseason being, you know, shortened, so you're going to have to learn fast. But it, it's he's coming into a great situation where he can learn from these guys and also not have that pressure of being the guy. Let's talk about Kyle Shanahan. He mentioned his name. Uh, there have been a lot of questions, not in our mailbag that we did for this podcast, so we'll get to the next question in just a second, but uh, a lot of questions, I think, uh, regarding his contract extension, which was uh, announced a couple months after it happened last week. Well, on top of the Shanahan contract extension, uh, you have the whole issue of John Lynch, who has not gotten one yet, and there's some uh, speculation about when that might happen, why that hasn't happened yet. What's your take on the whole situation there? Because obviously the 49ers and Jed York love the work that Shanahan has done, and I think they also love the work that John Lynch has done since those two have been working in such tandem together to rebuild this franchise. But uh, what do you think the holdup is on the the John Lynch end, Matt, and uh, when do you think uh, that may be finalized? Well, I I think the reason why we didn't hear about Kyle Shanahan's deal for for two months is precisely because the, the Lynch deal didn't get done. And so the question when Shanahan has a deal done is, okay, where's Lynch's? So they wanted to avoid that as long as they possibly could. Um, and and I, I think um, it's just a, a difference in the two markets between head coaches and general managers. Uh, head coaches get hired very quickly. There's six, seven every year. So 
Uh, it meant that uh, Kyle Shanahan's deal, which was, you know, uh, you know, long in terms of length, six years when he signed it in 2017, was, was sort of middle of the road as far as a, a first-time head coach. But uh, three years later, um, you know, he had guys like Zach Taylor, uh, the, uh, the head coach of the, of, the, of the Bengals, surpassing him. So he, he quickly fell to the bottom of the market as far as head coaches, and the 49ers wanted to, uh, to rectify that, and, uh, and they did, and it was very easy to do. Lynch's contract has been more difficult because um, he was in the, the top quarter of the league when he was hired, and he still is. So there's really not as much of an impetus for the 49ers to get that done. Um, I think they, they want to. I think uh, this, this pairing that they have was, uh, they, they hoped and crossed their fingers that after the, you know, the hardball bulky years, they finally could land uh, a general manager and a head coach who not only got along well together, but uh, who you know, had a symbiotic uh, relationship. And they have that now. So it's nothing that they want to um, part ways with anytime soon. Um, as far as the timing on Lynch, I was told that there are a couple of GMs, John Schneider with the Seahawks and Mickey Loomis with the uh, New Orleans Saints, who uh, probably will have new deals done uh, within a year. And, and once that happens, then that market will be reset and it'll be clearer uh, as far as what John Lynch ought to be paid. So... Uh, it may be a while until that's done. Uh, I don't think it's anything that's uh, in the offing right now, but uh, it, but it's interesting because these two guys have been tied at the hip, and suddenly, uh, contractually at least, they're they're not. Um, Dennis, would that be? I always wonder whether the players even pay attention to any of that stuff, and uh, you know whether there's any sort of weaknesses at the top of an organization. Anything like that? Would that kind of catch your eye if you were a player right now? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think certainly your head coach is what you're what you're mostly concerned with, and i I can't uh, I can't tell how happy I was to see that Kyle got that extension only because of the what happened with Harbaugh after the Super Bowl and talking about extension and it never happened and the bad blood and then it became. You know, one of those those real down times in 49er football as they tried to figure out who the next head coach in uh, GM would be. So I was, I was super happy to, to see that Kyle got that extension, and he deserved it. I, it feels like, you know, he's got a, a real good culture that he's built, and he's built it with, with John Lynch. So, I, you know, I think these two together, the way they work, um, it's, it's, it's kind of what you, you, you kind of hope for, and I'm sure it's what the York family has, has – has really enjoyed having having a head coach uh, and a general manager kind of on the same page, and Kyle Shanahan kind of saying, "This is what I need," uh, and John Lynch going out and kind of finding that player for for whatever position on the offense or the defense that he needs. So, you know, I, I I don't know how it works with general managers, but as far as a player goes, I mean, you want to have your head coach. I mean, the coach that's kind of drafted you, the coach has kind of taken you in this case to a Super Bowl, kind of developed you, kind of developed this this um, culture that you have uh, kind of want to go out and play for a guy you want to have him around and I think I think the guys I think it shows I think the guys like Kyle Shanahan got Kyle Shanahan as we all know is a guy that was that was a ball boy when I was playing so he knows this team he knows the history he knows the the culture and he's he's kind of kind of rebuilt it a little bit and um, 
So I think I think we'll see John Lynch come along, you know, with them because with the new contract because these two just work so well together. And I just think that John Lynch really relates well to the players because he was you know close at least close yes. to a Hall of Fame caliber one himself, and we'll see if he is able to make that final cut to Canton here in the coming years. I know it's uh, been disappointing for him the past two seasons, but right now I think that's going to be extremely important. That leads me right to our next question from Ryan Jay on Twitter. Uh, This ties, I think, directly into Lynch. Ryan asks, given the potential shrinking of the salary cap next year if the season occurs with no fans, how will that affect the 49ers' ability to re-sign some of their pending free agents such as Richard Sherman, Trent Williams, and and, and some other guys. And you, you know who's going to be at the forefront of that is is John Lynch. I mean, he's it, it, he may not be the nuts and bolts guy like Parag Marathe doing the numbers, but he is, uh, you know, the face of the 49ers franchise in these nego- in these negotiations, who acts like a bridge between you know players' interests and the franchise's interests, and that, that's why I think uh, John Lynch has been a successful general manager so far. Not only does he get along really well with Kyle Shanahan, but because he is a former player and a fairly recent former player. Uh, the players trust him in these negotiations. You know, you talk about Richard Sherman sitting down, uh, you know, without an agent ne- negotiating. It was Richard Sherman, his wife, Ashley, uh, Parag Marathe and John Lynch in a room. And they hashed that thing out in March of 2018 over several hours. And I, I think that you have to give John Lynch a lot of credit for being in that room, for making sure that that deal got done. And when you look at pending free agent deals moving forward with a potential shrinking salary cap with a lot of weird things on the table with guys maybe being asked to take some pay cuts. Uh, John Lynch, I think, is the guy that you want in that room. Again, not for the nuts and bolts. Prague Marathe is the the, the guy to do that, but for the human element here. And I think that's why John Lynch has been so good at his job, Matt, because he's able to really be the bridge between so many, you know, different interests, the financial interest, the player interest, the coaching interest, because he gets along with Kyle Shanahan. And that's exactly who you want as a general manager, a guy who could wear a bunch of different caps and, and glue the franchise together. Yeah, I'll add just a, a quick anecdote to that uh, that notion, that description you just gave. When um, Lynch and, and Pragmarate and uh, Jed York flew to Atlanta um, during the, uh, the 2016 playoffs, uh, this is early in 2017 in January, um, to first broach the possibility that Lynch could be Shanahan's GM they all got together in a room, and, and at one point, um, Jed York said, okay, Prague and I are going to get up and leave, and you guys need to kind of work out, you know, who's got control of the 90-man roster, who's got control of the 53-man roster, etc. cetera. Uh, even at that point, he was so new to it, uh, uh, John Lynch uh, piped up and said, hey, you know, the, the four of us are going to be working together on all this, so you guys don't need to to leave the room. Why don't we just stay together and kind of hash it all out? And it was uh, hashed out very quickly, very easily. Um, that just kind of showing this guy's personality and, and his instincts on all this. So you're right, having him kind of running the show during a very difficult, uh, what promises to be a very difficult uh, March uh, free agency period coming up is going to be uh, very crucial to have. Uh, but uh, 
to, to answer Jay's question, you know, the, the one good thing is that for, you know, for the 49ers is that every team is going to be in this situation. So the, the salary cap is going to be constrained possibly across the league. The 49ers are going to have a lot. Uh, you know, they're, they're already at the, at the very tippity top of their, their salary cap, and they've got a lot of guys coming up. But um, I don't think a lot of people are going to find a lot of riches uh, that they may have in, in, in previous years. And to continue to talk about John Lynch, just think, what, four years ago, this guy was on, just on television, right, analyzing football games. And now he's, you know, he's a GM. He's gone to the Super Bowl. He's got one of the most explosive offense, the best defense in the National Football League. So he's done a fantastic job, and I think you're right. His ability uh, to go and evaluate players – uh, at combines and free agent because he was a player. He played at a super high level. Uh, it just it just brings even more to the table. And then him, you know, being able being able to relate to players and understand kind of when contracts come up, kind of what a player's kind of looking for. And most of the time, players are looking for some security, you know. So so I'm sure he's able to talk through a lot of this stuff to players. And and we'll see. I think we kind of talked about the salary cap and this these new times. What's going to happen? And I think. Folks are going to have to just start being creative, and I think John Lynch is a guy that can sit in a room with a player and come up with some real, come up with some real creative ideas uh, to make a player feel secure and make him want to stay with the team. John Lynch, fun fact for 49ers fans, especially assuming the tight end in the sixth round, Charlie Werner, works out. John Lynch was the only general manager at the NFL PA Collegiate Bowl practices. The NFLP Collegiate Bowl is the, uh, you know, the lesser known senior bowl, really. You, you have a bunch of uh, college uh, hopefuls, uh, you know, college players who, who had just finished their final year that are draft hopefuls uh, showing up, trying to make a name for themselves. And whereas almost all the executives will head to the senior bowl, uh, the Collegiate Bowl normally will just send scouts or some, some lower ranking executives. But John Lynch was at the Collegiate Bowl and that's where you know Charlie Werner had a great week. He was dominant that week, and uh, that might have been one of the reasons why the 49ers made that sixth-round pick, who I think uh, is going to be an instant contributor, cons- uh, considering that he's uh, right at a position of need for the 49ers, that blocking tight end spot that I think I'm getting an inkling that Kyle Shanahan wants to make that blocking tight end spot uh, a receiving threat. And that's been one of the weaknesses for the 49ers over the past couple of years. He was able to make it a receiving threat during select time in 2017. But then obviously um, after that, Garrett Selleck fought through some injuries, was kind of at the tail end of his career. So the 49ers weren't able to get the receiving production. I think they want it from that inline blocking spot. Last year, they got great blocking from Levine Toilolo, but only a couple receptions. So if that, Matt, if that can turn into a receiving position, we can see this offense. You know, we talk about all these questions we're getting about wide receivers. That could be one of the answers to, to you know, help pick up the slack in receiving production is if you get that second tight end spot to really deliver. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're, you're low on receivers or you're having trouble with your receivers, you turn to your running game, which the 49ers can do. And if you're uh, humming on your running game, then it's going to be easy to slip that that blocking tight end down the field, uh, you know, for for big uh, chunk gains. And and you're right. I mean, Garrett Selleck did that uh, very well for them. He was sort of a secret weapon. That's why they called it that Selleck time because nobody was is expecting him uh, coming. Um, so um, you don't have to be a stellar receiver 
in order to be that guy. And I think you're right. Charlie Warner uh, fits that mold. Uh, Warner's got to beat out Daniel Helm, I think, is probably his biggest competition for the roster. Um, Helm was an undrafted guy last year who, who joined the team, I think, late in, in training camp. So that's uh, that's sort of a minor roster battle to watch. But um, yeah, as much as the 49ers like to run the ball and, and use two tight ends, that could be a, a pivotal, certainly in some games, a pivotal uh, position uh, th- this season. Yeah, and, you know, if, if the 49ers can, you know, use a guy like a Jalen Hurd in a, that, that 22 personnel, two backs and, and two tight ends, uh, you know, give him some blocking techniques uh, and then have him kind of come off the line of scrimmage and kind of sneak him out on some patterns. So, again, it, 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 it helps that you have a deep receiving crew, but also it helps that you've got some kind of some bruisers uh, on your offensive, uh, your offensive room, offensive receiving room. So, I mean, it's it, it's wide open. I think in the way Kyle Shanahan calls and way he kind of designs offenses, I think you know if you can get a, a tight end that can can sneak out. Everyone kind of focusing on on George Kittle, and you have a guy like a Jalen Hurd that once he gets the ball, he can make things happen down the field. I think it'd be huge. Did we miss anything? There's been so many different kind of random occurrences throughout this offseason for the 49ers over the last month. Uh, I was trying to clump everything together. What else has happened this offseason? I think we got everything. Two rookies have signed their rookie deal, so we've got three to go, the the two first-rounders and then Warner. And that's happening at a historically slow rate league-wide yeah. this year because of the issues uh, economically that we that we uh, underlined earlier. So yeah, I think only twenty nine. I think twenty nine of the thirty two first rounders are still uh, yet to be signed. So that that tells you everything you need to know right there. Yeah. Did you guys happen to see the video of uh, Javon uh, Kinlaw working out? Yes. No, but I've seen videos of that guy shirtless. Man, he's a monster. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to just, you know, just first of all, to see what his attitude is, you know, when, when it comes to just being on that defensive line. But watching this kid work out, man, he is a beast. The incredible bulk. Yeah. He, I mean, th- yeah. that's an area where the 49ers – have the potential to be better than with DeForest Buckner. I'm not saying that they will be, but just because Kinlaw is that much bigger and stronger than Buckner, he's got the. I think there's a higher ceiling as far as uh, the ability to be stout against the run and 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 uh, maybe even pass rush better. Now Buckner was great; he was durable. That's a you know. Kinlaw is a ways to go to prove he can be at that level or even above it. But I think the 49ers are so intrigued by the ceiling because of what you outlined. Um, physically, the guy yeah. is just a monster. Yeah, you need two people to block him. And uh, when you're you know double teaming a guy like that, that means that Eric Armstead and, and Nick Bosa have easier paths to the quarterback. I mean, it's just simple math. And uh, uh, it's, it's, it's certainly possible that the 49ers pass rush, when you combine that with... D. Ford, uh, hopefully being healthy this year, uh, that that pass rush is even more ferocious than it was last year, which uh, which is saying quite a bit. So that that to me is their their key to the Super Bowl again. Is is, is if all those things come to come to pass, uh, I, I think there's a really good shot at, at doing exactly that. Yeah, and to stay on the defensive line, I don't know if you guys have heard, but teammate of mine, good friend of mine. 
B.Y. Brian Young was just inducted into the 49ers uh, Hall of Fame. So we'll celebrate him this season. Can you think of a, a more uh, well-liked player over the last quarter century than than B.Y.? I mean, just universally. Yeah, me. <laughs> How about me? Yeah, you're, you're, you're really likable, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah. He is he, he he's a guy that almost almost makes you mad a little bit because he is so focused and he's so positive all the time. And and I, I think about guys like Warren Sapp who are in the Hall of Fame. You know, and he was a kind of a you know beat your chest type of guy. BY was just a just a workhorse. You know, he didn't jump up and down, he didn't yell, but he was always a guy to kind of encourage the person next to to him. So I think you think about 49ers. I mean, it's it's when you talk about the whole culture, the whole world, all about 49ers, I think B.Y. has to be, you know, one of those guys that you think about because he just came to work every day and he didn't really expect that much. Only thing he expected was to win games and everyone around him to be be as good or be accountable as he was. So. Well, you know, I think it's also worth mentioning just uh, the, the span of his career. He was a rookie the season the 49ers won their most recent Super Bowl. Uh, obviously you were on that team, Dennis, and you've talked to us about trying to run the, the Jerry Rice Hill with Bryant Young <laughs> and Dana Stubblefield. And <laughs> yeah. I think you guys turned around and gave yeah. up after, uh, after a little bit, but uh, I'm not saying that the work ethic was obviously there for Bryant Young because he absolutely destroyed his right leg in 1998. And now for con uh, for contextual purposes, 1998 was, Steve Young's final full season because Steve Young suffered the concussion early in 1999 and never played again. So 1998 was the 49ers' final playoff season of the dynasty where Bryant Young destroyed his right leg. It was a very gruesome broken leg on, on Monday Night Football. It needs to be noted that this guy came back from what was horrific, what looked like it might be a career-ending injury, and was an all-pro after that. Now, the fact that 49ers weren't a good team anymore, though, after that meant that I felt that flew way under the radar. Imagine that the 49ers had still been a playoff team if Steve Young hadn't suffered that final concussion. Then Bryant Young's return to all-pro form would have gotten the deserved shine, but I don't think it did. He played you know, you know, know, through some dark years there, even though Jeff Garcia came along uh, after, but he, he played through some tough times and, and recovered in such astounding fashion from that injury uh, when nobody was really watching. So I, I think that deserves some, some mention here. Yeah, he, he was a, a true pro. Uh, you mentioned the dark days. He was on some awful teams there uh, in the early 2000s, uh, 2004 squad, won only two games weren't that much better in, in 2005, but he led, we, we make so much, uh, uh, such a big deal over Nick Bosa this year, uh, this past year, and, and rightfully so. Bosa had nine sacks uh, last season. Uh, Bryant Young had eight uh, in 2005 on just a terrible team um, to lead the team that year, and he was in his 12th season at that point. Uh, so he, he was delivering even late in his career. Uh, just uh, one really solid season after another. And uh, he was a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame this year. And I think there's a lot of hope around the league, certainly around 49ers headquarters, that uh, he eventually gets in. Yeah, and I, I think, like I said, I think it's well-deserved. I mean, if you just look at his numbers, and you know, a lot of it, that's what you know it's kind of based on. But it's also based on popularity, too. So I, I think, I, I think if... if, if, if if you look at just the numbers, B.Y., and I think he needs to be in there, certainly he's going to be in the 
the uh, what is it the uh, Bay Area Hall of Fame. I think it was inducted in that. Yes. Going into the uh, 49ers Hall of Fame, and hopefully that kind of propels him into the uh, to go to Canton and be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But uh, all around great guy, love him to death. Always very jealous of him, but he's a good friend of mine. Awesome. Well, uh, maybe one day you guys, now that there's a lot more free time, maybe you guys could try to tackle the Jerry Rice Hill. Or is that in the rear view mirror? <laughs> yeah, that's in way, way rear view mirror. Dennis is going to hit that on his bike, I think. I could do it on the bike. I could probably uh, biking do it on the up bike. a hill has got to be one of the more miserable things to do in life. Uh, that Not if you have any electric uh, bike. Yeah, get an yeah I mean, because I'm like you, I am doing a ton <laughs> of biking right now. I got myself a nice road bike. The roads are open, so I go around the city. Um, so I'm getting better uh-huh. at some of the hills, but sometimes you're going up a hill and then somebody passes you because they got one of those bikes that has a motor on it, <laughs> and you get so upset. It's the most, it's the worst feeling. I hate it. Oh, oh man! Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're we're close to an hour. This may be a record for length, but we felt that uh, given um, all the football stuff to talk about, um, there was a lot to fill in here. We'll we'll uh, up the frequency here over the next few weeks as the season approaches and they'll be more in a clump I think to talk about um, so it's going to be exciting as Matt outlined to just see you know unprecedented it's a word I don't like but it's the word of, of the year right now so we'll uh, take you guys through all of the happenings here over the next month anyway for uh, Dennis Brown and for Matt Barrows this is David Lombardi on the Here's the Catch podcast we will talk to you guys soon as uh, training camp approaches <laughs>